Well, folks, this is the time of the show where I go out across the world and find someone who's making a difference somewhere in the either financial world or the, the fiction and nonfiction world of authors. Because as an author, I like to uh, give other authors their needed attention. And we've got James Rollins, who's a New York Times bestseller, and he's going to talk about his book, The Bone Labyrinth. And it's a great novel. It's, it's, well, it's a page turner. And I read it in a couple of days, believe it or not, and it's like almost 500 or 400-some pages. James, welcome in. Thank you very much. Now, let's, let's educate the listener. Who is James Rollins if they haven't heard of you? And, and you know, give us a brief history of yourself. Well, I am a veterinarian by trade. I, I avoid saying former veterinarian, uh, though at this point I, knew, I do now write full-time, and I just use my veterinary degree as a hobby. I, uh, <laughs> I, still, I can still neuter a cat in under 30 seconds. Sounds like fun. <laughs> take full pride in that. But now I do write these... Uh, Stories featuring Sigma Force. They're a group of special forces soldiers that have been recruited by DARPA, the Defense Department's Research and Development Wing, to basically be field operatives for them. Uh, they've been retrained in various scientific disciplines. Um, as I described them, they're, they're scientists with guns, for lack of a better term. Yeah, well, I mean, this is, and the star of the book is Gray Pierce, right? Exactly. He's a, uh, uh, the main sort of hero of the series, uh, and he's still. You know, we're on our 11th book at this point, and he's still finding more trouble to get into. <laughs> so, and hopefully more trouble to come. You know, I've always liked to get these uh, these these books that are in a series where you can follow the uh, main character around, sort of like a TV show these days. But back in the day, I grew up, uh, I'm almost 50 years old, the Hardy Boys. So the Hardy Boys uh, were always getting themselves into uh, trouble and out of trouble. Exactly. <laughs> well, well, tell us, tell the listeners out here what uh, what this latest thriller is about. Well, this book starts out when uh, uh, twin sisters, they're both geneticists, are attacked on two different continents. One is assaulted in Europe uh, while she's investigating a medieval chapel that's found buried within the cavern system in Croatia. And within that chapel, they find the bones of a Neanderthal woman entombed. The other sister is abducted from a primate research center outside of Atlanta, and she's taken along with a research animal. It's a young sign language-speaking gorilla who has a bit of a mystery surrounding himself, too. Uh, Sigma Force is called in to rescue the women. In doing so, they expose a Chinese plot to genetically alter human embryos in an attempt to control the next step in human evolution. You know, it's, it's pretty funny because your, your novels are known for the scientific accuracy and for their ripped-from-the-headlines topics. Uh, can you tell us more about the uh, exploration of the roots of the in- human intelligence field here? All right, we basically look at start the past, way in the past, 50,000 years ago in the past is where the prologue starts, because there's an interesting mystery. It's an anthropological mystery. Uh, it goes back 50,000 years. We do know that for about 200,000 years that we've been kicking around this place, that our human brains have been roughly the same size and shape, but then for some unknown reason, 50,000 years ago, we suddenly seemed to get a lot smarter. There was suddenly an explosion of art, weapon development, civilization. We don't know why. The anthropologists call this moment the great leap forward, because that's exactly what we seem to do. We leap forward intellectually, but we don't know why that occurred. You know, one theory is that we began to wander out of Africa into Europe. We were being exposed to new lands, new challenges, new climates. Maybe that was a source. But I was doing my research as a, as a veterinarian and as a scientist in general. I discovered that there's a new theory about that period of time, one that's explored in this novel, one that I think is going to startle a few people in regards to... Uh, where that might lead, and might we be headed towards an, another great leap forward in the very near future? 
you know, my dad's a physics professor, so science has always fascinated me. But I mean, for the average reader out there, I mean, science can get complicated. And that's what I like about your books is you take a complicated subject and make it easy to read. And as I understand it, part of what you examine here is how we share DNA with Neanderthals and how we once interbred with this other tribe. Right. I mean, that, we do know that at this point, about 2 to 4% of our genome comes from Neanderthals when we were interbreeding with them. But not just them. We shared this planet, uh, early man, with a few other hominid tribes out there, not just the Neanderthals, but a few other ones, like the Denovazins, which are uh, another tribe that contributed an important gene that allowed Tibetans to um, live at the high altitudes they do. Without that gene, they couldn't live where they do. And also we found out just recently that there's a, another fingerprint in our DNA, that maybe there's a third extinct species that also added to our genome. But at this point, we don't know what that species is or where they came from. But, of course, in my book, I, I have a uh, possible answer. <laughs> now, do you like to travel? You must like to travel a little bit, right? I do. Uh, I generally don't do a lot of travel for research, per se. I don't like saying I'm going to set a story in Paris, I'm going to fly to Paris, run around Paris, come back and write about it. I just travel for the fun of it. For this book, uh, it started because uh, a couple of years ago I, I went to China. Uh, I spent three weeks in China, a week in Beijing, a week in Shanghai, and a week in Hong Kong. And luckily I did because... Um, I don't know if after reading this novel, if I can ever go back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, and it will let me. Well, let, let's look at this. What role did that travel play in, in, of course, your newest book, The Bone Labyrinth? Well, in this book, you know, I, I do expose some of the, the things that are going on in China regarding uh, you know, sort of from the headlines, the fact that you know, we've seen the hacking, the espionage going on with the Chinese government. But also it's becoming a little bit more insidious in that, you know, We've always sort of allowed for nationals to train in our, or to study in our graduate programs and actually encouraged it through grants and financial aid so that we're, basically what we're trying to do is lure them to come stay here, to take that, those, those smart folks from abroad and, and, and have them become a part of the American uh, uh, scientific community. But what we're having now happen is most of these graduates now are leaving. They're heading back to their countries and taking that knowledge with us, which has become a national security issue because uh, while it's underwritten by the American taxpayer, uh, we are shipping this uh, intellectual capital abroad, and we're creating our own market competitors. It's scientists and engineers that ultimately drive innovation, and we're, letting, we're sending that abroad. But also it's a security risk in that we're finding a lot of these uh, technologies that we're developing here being turned against us down the line. So, uh, but also, I mean, from a more practical standpoint, I was in Beijing, and I walked up to this gentleman, and I said, you know, hey, tell me a secret that nobody knows about this place. He goes, well, you know, one thing that people don't know is that there's an entire underground city beneath Beijing. It's uh, the width and breadth of the city, extends into the mountains. It was built during the Soviet era, so the Russians ever attacked us with nuclear weapons. The entire population can recede underground. Well, how far underground is that? It's, a, it's not that far underground, it's this, but it's you know, insulated fairly much by, by cement and, and the buildings that are above it. Um, it's still there. It's crumbled a bit into a ruin. Um, it's collapsed in a few sections, but it's still down there. As a matter of fact, when they had the Tiananmen Square crackdown, one of the ways the Chinese government hid troop movements uh, was by moving them through that underground city. As a matter of fact, they rolled tanks through that underground city to get them into position. Uh, so it's still down there. Again, when I learned about this, I thought, well, that's a, I'm going to set a story in there. I'm going to blow some stuff up. So you know, it reminds me of, like, Disney World has an underground part, too. I mean, you go exactly. underground, which is really not underground at, in Florida, because if they would go underground, it would flood. So it's, <laughs> it's like the first floor is one no one ever sees, and that's how the characters get from point A to point B so fast. They appear perfect. magically. <laughs> and that's pretty much, uh, consider that on a much larger scale. Well, that's the Chinese underground city. Never even knew that. That's, that's, that was worth the interview today, wasn't it? Now, speaking of China, though, it seems like almost every week or every month we're hearing about, uh, you know, spies or hackers or whatever from China right. getting into our things. Does that appear in your novel, the, the Chinese spy aspect? 
Exactly. I mean, that's critical to the whole story. We just find out how deeply some of these Chinese spies can be bedded in our, in our scientific community. Uh, some of them, and this is, this is true, this is, again, not something I'm making up. It sounds sort of fantastical. It sounds like something from a, a James Bond novel. But we do know at this point that there are you know, Chinese operatives that are, that are, that are sort of uh, as moles in our scientific community, both passing on information and uh, posing a security risk. Well, you know, when you, when you go through the novel, an element of this does sound like it's ripped from the headlines, specifically about the Chinese scientists genetically modifying human embryos. Now, this is a scary topic when we start talking about it. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this was just about a year and a half ago. There was a revelation that a group of Chinese scientists had successfully altered the human genome at the at the embryo level, which is sort of a a, a line in the sand we hadn't crossed yet. And because yes, we've explored therapeutic uses of uh, modifying genes and and DNA to maybe deal with uh, oh inheritable diseases, cancers, things like that. But this is the first time we're looking at you know being able to. You know, pluck out desirable genes and or undesirable genes, or replace them with desirable genes, and to potentially introduce new new aspects into the human gene pool, genes that are actually inheritable. Uh, just in past September, you know, after this book was sort of put away and just before it came out, the National Institute of Health just announced that they're going to put a moratorium against using human sense to, human stem cells to to investigate the altering of the human genome. So, you know, lines are being drawn in the sand, but just because we draw the lines in the sand doesn't mean other countries are going to follow suit. As a matter of fact, after the revelation of this science, these Chinese scientists doing that, there's another Chinese group that also announced that they're doing an investigation into this. The British group that's looking into it and to do it, as there is a U.S. group that's looking to do this. So, you know, we're at, it's a slippery slope towards eugenics. We're potentially leading to the point where we can engineer a human baby. Uh, maybe even to the point where there could be different classes of people, those that have been uh, that are natural and those that have been enhanced. Well, folks, we are talking to Mr. James Rollins, New York Times bestselling author of the book, uh, the number 11 in his series of the Sigma Force, is a bone labyrinth. And one final thing, we've got, we're coming up against the clock here, and it's a great novel. I recommend people pick it up. But one thing I want to talk about here is you reveal in this book that there is a code buried in our DNA and one one of them uh, specifically will shock the readers, I think. Exactly. I mean, I don't want to give too much away, and it will probably take a little bit longer than the time I have to explain <laughs> it. But there's an unusual symmetry between uh, the some symmetries between the Earth, the Moon, and the Sun, and our own genetics. Anyone that ties to the first line of the Book of Genesis. It sounds wild and outlandish. Sounds like something that you know that's out of left field, but it's based on real science. And you're going to find out exactly what that is in the book. As a matter of fact, at the end of the book, I have a what's true and what's not section that strips away, that pulls back the curtain so you can actually see where all this stuff came from. Well, in your research and then also in your career and all the things you've, you've studied, I mean, is it fair to say we probably don't understand our DNA at all so far these days? I, we're, I still it's very poorly understood. Not only is there the genes we need to worry about, there's, there's epigenetic factors, there's uh, nature versus nurture. You know, we're, we're playing with a, a toolbox that we don't fully understand what we're doing, and that's always disconcerting. Well, fascinating interview with you, Mr. Rollins, and also, folks, this is a fascinating book. I mean, I recommend everyone gets a copy, uh, James Rollins, The Bone Labyrinth, new, new best-selling uh, title here on the New York Times best-selling list. Mr. Rollins, thanks for your time today. Thank you very much. And folks, if you join this interview late or want to hear it again in its entirety, you can go to financialsafari.com and click on the As Heard on the Show icon. We'll be right back after this.